Well, welcome everybody. My name is Father Will Schmid. And I'm here with Father Matt Lowry, and we are the Northern Fathers. I'm the pastor of San Francisco de Assis Parish in Flagstaff, Arizona. Father Matt is the director of Holy Trinity Newman Center at Northern Arizona University. And we call ourselves the Northern Fathers because we're in the northern part of the Diocese of Phoenix. And um, yeah, we've been friends for a long time. And uh, we're just excited to be able to have this podcast where we can kind of share our thoughts as the Northern Fathers, the priests in the northern part of uh, the Diocese of Phoenix. We've been talking about this podcast for a long time. And it took the coronavirus for us to actually like sit down and just do this thing. And um, you know, we're all worried about what's going on in our country. We're worried about our family and, and friends who are uh, ill, and uh, we want to stop the spread of this disease. And uh, so we're all kind of on isolation right now. And uh, Father Matt and I, we live together in the rectory. And um, Bishop Olmstead just announced that he's suspending all masses and uh, public church gatherings of 10 people or more. And so... Uh, we're just kind of reacting to that news, and we're trying to make a lemonade with lemons right now. So we figured we'd use this podcast to be able to reach our, our people every day and just let them know we're praying for them, we're thinking about them, and just to offer them something, of, something from the Lord. So thanks for, uh, thanks for doing this with me, Father Matt. It's good. I, I've received several requests from people who they want to be fed. You know, they haven't, they're not going to be able to receive the Eucharist and probably not even able to stop by the chapel and and they want to know that the Lord is with them and find some inspiration and hope in a time that <laughs> there's every time you turn on the news it just feels like more bad news and um, and we're people of hope yeah what was your reaction uh, when you heard the news that Bishop Olmstead was suspending all masses I, I think I've been mentally preparing for that for a week when I Last week when I heard that the NBA shut down and then there was this domino effect, I was thinking about it logically. I said the only way for this thing to pass quickly is if the whole world just stops for two weeks or we just battle it for years. <laughs> and so yeah. it just seemed like, you know, we're all going to need to just stop and, and stop what we're doing. I said that, which includes masses, which is obviously not ideal. Um, but already I'm... I'm I'm sensing from the faithful this desire for the Lord that, you know, distance makes the heart grow fonder. And maybe people aren't even going to the chapel or to mass, but just the idea that they can't makes them really want to. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, kind of went through the stages of grieving. Like, I've been in a denial all last week. I was like, nah, we're not going to get to that point. Other dioceses might get to that point, but not us. And And then when the news hit yesterday afternoon, I was just like no, this can't be true. This can't be happening. Um, and then I went through the bargaining stage where I was like, oh, well, what can I do? Maybe I can do like a sneak a mask with people in it. And I'm like, no, that's, that's, that's not what I'm supposed to do. That's not obedience. And then I went through the anger phase where I'm like, come on. And I, and then finally last night after, uh, well, after praying night prayer, I just had this kind of hit with this overwhelming sense of peace and, you know, it's, everything's going to be okay. And, I just need to focus on what I can do right now. And uh, that's when uh, this morning I'm like, hey, man, we should do this podcast. And you're like, yep. So I think this is kind of our response and accepting the fact that this is how it is. And, um, you know, I, was, I read a book 
by Bishop Athanasius Schneider. I don't know if you're familiar with him, Father Matt. He, uh, he's the auxiliary bishop in Kazakhstan, and he wrote a book called Christus Vincit. And uh, in the first chapter of that book, he talks a lot about his family history. And he mentions that his parents, who survived um, Soviet Russia and went through serious persecution um, during that time, they actually went 10 years without priests and without the Eucharist. 10 years. Not 10 days. <laughs> like 10 years um, where they didn't have the Eucharist. They weren't able to go to Mass on Sunday. And he says that how he kept, his, his faith was kept alive in his family life is that they still celebrated Sunday. Like they gathered together, they prayed the rosary. Um, on Fridays during Lent, they prayed the Stations of the Cross. Um, and they just, they spent a big portion of this Sunday together as a family in prayer and, and glorifying the Lord. And that's, he says that was a big part of his faith that led him to be a priest. And, you know, not having the Eucharist was a big part of his, you know, discernment of being a priest and his call of the priesthood. So... I think God can do a lot, and that's what I'm hoping he does over these next few weeks. You know, in the early church, they had house churches, and it makes me think how the domestic church, the family, is the first place of prayer, the first school of prayer, and that we have a, a great opportunity in front of us now that, you know, we're, we're not victims, but instead we can choose how we go forward, and as families, we have a great opportunity to come together in prayer to pray for the people throughout the world who who this is really going to hit more difficult or harder than us. Yeah. You know, that, that when tragedy always hits the poor much harder than those with resources. And um, and we have resources just to, even to be listening to this podcast, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's a beautiful opportunity where families can come together and, and, and pray. Yeah. Yeah, we kind of forget about that. You know, we... Um and a lot of people are worried financially, you know, even in, in the United States. And um, yeah, I think a lot of us are going to take a big hit. And um, But we have to trust in the Lord, right? And there are people out there who are going to take even a bigger hit. And there are people out there dying. And we have to remember them and keep them in prayer, keep their families in prayer. Um, so, yeah. So we're going to offer this podcast. The idea is just a, a few thoughts every day. Uh, just to keep you connected and let us know we're praying for you. And uh, so maybe we can just take a few minutes and talk about today's gospel. Um, we just kind of go from there. What do you think, Father Matt? Yeah, I've, I have a couple more thoughts on oh, yeah. just being sure. keep <laughs> locked up, so to speak. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting how we live in a culture of a lot of doing and we're not very good at being. Yeah. And, and, and especially when that, when that doing is taken away from us against our will, that can be really frustrating. Yeah, and, and so to be pushed into a position of being, it's it's not real fun unless we choose it. Also, there's a an, uh, the internal will to be able to ch I ch I choose this also, Lord. I don't want this, but not my will. Your will be done. And uh, it makes me think. I heard a story recently of this admiral. I think Admiral Denton, I believe his name was, from Vietnam, and he was. Um, arrested and he was put in a cell that was 47 inches by 47 inches. He couldn't even lay down. And he thought to himself when he got in there, he's like, I, I can't survive. I can't live one day in this cell. I'm going to go crazy. And he ended up spending two years in that small cell. And what he decided to do, what he realized was that 
he couldn't choose whether he was in that cell or not, but he could choose what he did in that cell. And what he did was he offered up... Yeah, his, which is not much. <laughs> yeah. But what he could do is he, he had a lot of suffering, a lot of frustrations, maybe even anger and things. And what he did was he, he took each one of those and he offered it up to the Lord as that was his offering. Like the priesthood of all believers, like, Lord, I have not much to offer you today, but I just have my suffering and that's my prayer to you. I give that to you. I freely accept it, and I give it to you. And later on when he was freed, he said he looked back on those two years in that cell, and it was the happiest years of his life. That being able to offer his entire life as an oblation, as a prayer to God, that he had the most intimate moments with Jesus on the cross, in that cell where it was just him and the Lord and he felt such deep communion that I think in our our socially connected world we can feel so isolated and that sometimes by stripping a lot of that away that we can get back to the most fruitful relationship with the Lord who Matthew 6 6 he says but when you pray go to your inner room close the door and pray to your father in secret and your father who sees in secret will repay you that we have this opportunity now in front of us that we always complain we're too busy to pray. But now maybe we have the space and time to turn to the most fruitful relationship in our lives. Yeah, and we can never underestimate the power of that personal prayer. You know, and that's what Bishop uh, Schneider was testifying to. Like his family didn't have the sacraments, um, but they had their deep relationship with Jesus Christ. They took that time. They made that sacrifice every Sunday and throughout the week to gather uh, as a family, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst, you know, and, uh, and the Lord strengthened that and nursed that and brought, even brought forward a priestly vocation, which is kind of crazy to think, you know, when he looks back on his, his life and his family, and he says, that kind of faith is what led me to want to be a priest, you know. It's so, a, it's, yeah. a, it's a faith that's not just at the church on Sunday, that, that faith really takes root in our lives when it's part of every aspect of our lives, especially our uh, inner selves and, um, and our families. And so this, they, did a, they did a study recently and they compared two groups of families. One group was families in which every child was active in the faith as adults and other families in which none of the children were active in the faith as adults. And so they looked at all these variables and the one variable that stood up was that families in which grown children were still active in their faith was when they were younger that the family itself had spiritual conversations. Yeah. Not, not did they pray the rosary every day, maybe they did, maybe they didn't, but they would talk about matters of faith in, in their personal lives and it became part of the, the parlance, the vocabulary of the family. And so that's something we, maybe we have the opportunity to do now. Yeah, and I would encourage parents to... Ask their kids about how they feel. You know, what's going on in their hearts as they hear about this coronavirus thing? I mean, they can't avoid it. They're hearing about it everywhere. And to have a conversation with them about what does the Lord desire of us, you know, as we deal with this epidemic, you know? Which makes me oh, think pandemic. of... pandemic, excuse me. Pandemic. pandemic. Yeah. The, the gospel today, Matthew 18, <clears throat> verses 21 to 35. Yeah. You know, it talks a lot about, it's about forgiveness. It's about mercy and... Um, I think the people that are often the hardest to love are the people closest to us. It's our, our family members. Yep. And, and sometimes I, 
I see this with college students a lot. You know, people come to NAU from Phoenix or Tucson, and I think sometimes I wonder if they're just trying to get away from their families. <laughs> but but now maybe they're forced to be with them. And actually, being close to people hard to love is actually an opportunity uh, to grow in charity and patience and honesty. Just being real. And so I don't know. It's just interesting to me. That's what struck me first. Yeah, and love, uh, love demands a lot of sacrifices, and you you have to make sacrifices for your family, you know, uh, in order to maintain peace, in order to maintain just a healthy relating relationship. And so yeah, you know, your college students, a lot of them are, are being sent home for who knows how long, mm-hmm. you know, and um, you know, many of them are probably really excited to be in college and to be you know, with their friends and learning and thinking about their futures and everything just kind of, I know they're probably doing some online stuff, but it might feel like their life should put on pause. Yeah. I mean, right now, I think for a lot of people, the uncertainty of it all yeah, that we don't know, like if, if we knew it was two weeks, like going on, I don't know, a two week staycation or something like you could wrap your mind around it. But when people are talking about, you know, summer or who knows when that you just, the unknowingness of it all. And so I, Sometimes I like to distinguish what do I not know from what do I know? Yeah. I don't know how long this will last, but what do I know is that I'm alive. I know that God has me and I know that there's other people suffering and I want to continue to pray for them. Yeah. And and that maybe as you mentioned earlier, maybe it can make I can make some lemonade from these <laughs> lemons and and come out on the other side better. Yeah. You know that adversity um gives us an opportunity to become stronger if we choose to respond well or if we just go along with it. Like what I don't want is I don't want to emerge on the other side having completed three seasons on Netflix or something. That'd be very easy to do. And and I'm not saying I'm not going to watch some TV, you know, like (laughs) maybe some good movies out there. Make sure to include me in that uh, Netflix watching. But, but if that's, if that's what I have to show for a couple weeks or whatever, like, I just, I think there's a bigger opportunity here, but I'm going to have to be intentional and have clarity on what is it that I want? What's the Lord putting on my heart and to be willing to be disciplined and sacrifice for that. Yeah. And you know, that uncertainty, uh, it's interesting you bring that up. That was one of the things that I thought about when I was, when I was praying with this gospel this morning, you know, it's uh, the the gospel is this, um, what do they call it? What's it summarized as the parable of the unfaithful steward or something like that? But it's basically this guy, he owes this huge debt to his king. And uh, so it's a parable Jesus is telling. This guy owns this, owes this huge, huge debt to the king. And he falls down before the king and he begs him. He says, I'll pay you back. Just forgive me. And the king is like moved by that. So he forgives him. And then this guy goes out and he goes to other people who owe him money. And they owe a lesser sum. And they fall before him and beg him for mercy, and he doesn't accept it. He like chokes it out of him. He throws him in jail. And uh, when the master hear about, hears about this, he pulls him in and he says, "Dude, I I forgave you this huge debt, and look what you did. You didn't even show that same mercy to the people who owed you a smaller debt." Um, and then Jesus goes on to say, "Hey, and oh, and he casts this guy. He casts him aside, makes him pay him back, and you know, oh, he removes the mercy." And Jesus basically goes on to say, like, so it will be with your heavenly father if you don't forgive your brother with your heart, you know. And um, so that's the summary of the gospel. And, um, you know, again, paraphrase. But uh, when I was praying with it this morning, it was Peter who sets off this whole parable. You know, Peter, he's, he's the leader, 
right? I think at this point in the gospel, we've seen Peter kind of step up. Uh, but we've also seen Peter like put his foot in his mouth like quite a bit. And Peter thinks he's kind of a know-it-all. And so he walks up to Jesus and he says, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive him? As many as seven times. And seven is like one of those numbers that symbolizes perfection. And so Peter's like, it's almost like a bad question. Like he almost knows the answer. Like how often do I have to forgive my brother? Is it the perfect number? Is it seven? And Jesus is like, man, you don't even know what you're talking about. It's way more than seven. <laughs> it's like you can't forgive your brother the same way that I can forgive your brother. It's almost like that's what Jesus is saying. You, you, the best you have to offer is seven, but what I can offer is 70, you know, right, not seven times, but 77 times, you know? Like what I offer is greater than what you can. And so, and then he goes into this parable, and I think the parable is about sharing in the mercy of the king. And this guy didn't share in the mercy of the king. Like he received the gift of it, but he didn't share in it and he didn't pass it on. And I think that's what Jesus is saying. Like you can only forgive to a certain amount, but I can forgive a huge debt. And the forgiveness that you offer, I want it to be from within my forgiveness, you know? And so, but that connectedness to the Lord, like staying in communion with him uh, and, and receiving the gift of his mercy and seeking to share in it and pass it on. I think that's, you know, a big thing a big aspect of this gospel. And Peter, uh, he thought he had, had it all understood. He thought he had it figured out, and he was just almost getting the Lord's thumbprint on it. Like, yep, you're right, Peter. Good job. Pat on the back, you know. I like that image of staying in the communion with the Father because it's so easy to get caught up in what others have done to me. We live in a, <laughs> a culture, a society, where, where it's real easy to blame other people for what they've done to me and feel like a victim. And, 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 and there are those things there. And yet to turn to God and say how much more God has loved me and been forgiving of me, and he's forgiving, God's forgiving of my neighbor too. And so I can only love my neighbor more perfectly in Jesus, um, in his love for them. But that also includes his love for me, that having re just like the, the servant receives that mercy from the king, that how much God has not held my sin my weaknesses over my head but instead is very patient and generous and loving and loves me as i am and as i receive that love and grace from him it it fills my heart to be able to love my neighbor as the lord does yeah yeah I, be, yeah go ahead I, another thought is it makes me think sometimes I, the number, even another way I look at 77 times is sometimes I hear people say, I don't understand, Father. Like, I forgave this person, but I find that I'm still angry at them. So what, have I, what am I doing wrong? And I was like, I don't, I don't know that you're doing anything wrong. I think forgiveness might be one of those things that goes deeper in us as we continue to grow and heal. And, you know, especially for people who are close to us, like our family members, that forgiveness is not a one-time thing. Or if somebody hurt me really deeply, I don't just forgive them once and then, oh, everything's better. But but it has to be kind of a continual heart of mercy towards that person that, that recognizes this is a child of God who's broken and even mean and hurt me. But and so it's it's a it's a constant act of forgive and forgive and forgive. And that act of the will on my part is good for me. 
uh, helps me to rest in God's mercy. But it's not a one-time thing. But, but it doesn't mean that I'm doing something wrong, but perhaps God is inviting me to be healed and love at a deeper level. So just because I forgave somebody a year ago, but it stirred up again, you know that, that I think God is inviting us to bring that to him so that we can love this person and forgive them at a deeper level now. Yeah, and I, I think that fits with this concept of I can only forgive so much. Like I'm a human being, I'm not God. And so uh, I can give my whole heart to forgiving somebody, but there's this forgiveness that God wants to give them that kind of transcends my ability. You know, and that's why when the sacrament of confession, we talk about how it's not just a reconciliation with God that you receive when you go to confession. It's also a reconciliation with the church. That God does something through the sacrament of reconciliation. He does some kind of healing that we can't do on our own. You know, and I, I tell people this all the time, like when you see somebody in line in the confessional and they go in and they come out and they, as they're going to do their penance, you can know with certainty that not only did that priest forgive them on behalf of Jesus Christ, he forgave them on behalf of you. Like he spoke in the name of the head of Christ or the, the head of the body of Christ, the church, and forgave them. And so that, that means whenever I see somebody in confession, even if I'm not the one like absolving them of their sins, like whatever priest hears that person in confession, he's going to forgive them on behalf of me. And there's this deeper level of forgiveness that's given there that I could ever give on my own as a mere human being, you know? And so when we struggle with forgiveness, it's like, yeah, I, I'm wounded. I've forgiven the person, but the wounds still kind of pop up. And it's like, oh, maybe I'm doing something wrong. It's like, no, you're, you're you're doing the best that you can with what you have, and you have to entrust this whole situation to the Lord because the deepest healing that has to be done needs to be done by Him. You know, Maybe a thought to leave people with is, as we go to prayer today, we could just sit and rest and just say simply to the Lord, Lord, thank you for your patience with me. Thank you for your forgiveness and your mercy. And, and to just yeah. rest in that and it's so easy to get caught up in our sins and our mistakes and maybe what we said today or, or did, but instead to kind of bring that to the Lord and just allow him to, I don't know, almost give us a God hug, just love us where we're at and, and say, God, thank you for your patience towards me. Thank you for your forgiveness. Yeah. And just, um, just remembering that although we might be doing social distancing right now, physically with um, our family, um, or even our friends. Uh, but by virtue of baptism, there's no such thing as social distancing from God. Like the Holy Spirit dwells in our soul, you know, by virtue of our baptism. And God is with us, and um, he's closer to us than ever. And just remember, I guess, would be to remember all those uh, people throughout history have had to go without the Eucharist, but yet their faith thrived in their hearts. And it's because uh, they never allowed themselves uh, to buy into the lie that there's social distancing from God. They always knew that he was with them. And he's with you, um, even when you can't come to the church on Sundays or when you can't go to the Mass this weekend, or even if you're a daily Mass goer, when you can't come today. Um, you just know that God, God's with you. Jesus Christ is with you. You want to close us with a prayer, Father Will? Yeah, absolutely. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, Lord, we praise you and we thank you for this day. We thank you for everything that you've given us, the good and the bad. And the reason why we thank you, Lord, for that is because we know that you can bring anything 
uh, to the glory of your son, Jesus Christ. So we ask, Lord, that you consecrate all of us at this time, consecrate our, our world, our country, our families, our town of Flagstaff, our parishes, our Newman centers. Just consecrate them uh, to your glory. Consecrate them to the Blessed Virgin Mary, your mother, who always intercedes for us. May we be like her during this time. May we ponder these beautiful mysteries of our faith in our heart. And as they grow in our hearts, as they flourish in our hearts, um, may it just lead to a deeper faith, a deeper desire to proclaim Jesus Christ. And Lord, we ask your healing love upon this pandemic, put an end to this disease, restore people to full health. Um, and may it be a consolation that you are with those who are sick and who are dying. May it give them peace in their turmoil. And Lord, just continue to bless us. Hail Mary, full of grace, grace the, Lord the Lord is, is with thee. thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us, and hopefully we'll uh, be able to talk to you again tomorrow. Fine for now. God bless. God bless.